With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MT Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're back today with a Sunday afternoon recap from Week 11. And I feel like we have a million things that we're going to have to go over in today's show. Now, of course, like I said, we're recapping all the Sunday afternoon games, all the injury updates, what we have to do to value these guys moving forward as we inch ever so closely to the beginning of our playoffs. They are right around the corner. Of course, make sure you check back tomorrow on your favorite streaming app for the Sunday night, the Monday night recap, and of course, we'll have the all-important waiver wire report before we head into the Thanksgiving week. And by the way, I do have an announcement on that as well because we were trying to figure out exactly what time on Thanksgiving we are going to have our show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network because, of course, the games start at 12.30. Normally speaking, on Thursdays, we would have our show from 12 to 1.30, but I'll make sure we're having our show before the games kick off especially when we're uh, previewing the early window of games for Week 12 on Thursdays, normally speaking. We are going to be on early in the morning from 8 to 9 a.m., so make sure you have the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You have those alerts up. Download that app on Android or WWSRN on iOS. You always catch us out after on your favorite streaming app as well, but we are going to be out there early, so you want to get a nice 
preview show. Wake up, put the turkey in, and tune in to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You can. We're going to have a lot to go over because it's going to be an hour flat. Usually our shows are about an hour and a half, and there's going to be a lot of games to cover in that early window. So we're going to have a jam-packed show for you guys from that 8 to 9 o'clock hour in the morning. So wake up with the MD's Fantasy Football Show on Thanksgiving morning just to give you guys a heads up there. But in this show, man, we got a lot of games to talk about. We got 11 games to cover in this one. A lot of things to take out of what we saw during the action of Sunday afternoon. So let's dive right into it, talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Jacksonville Jaguars to kick things off. A lopsided victory, an expected lopsided victory for the Pittsburgh Steelers in this one. Ben Roethlisberger continues to be his streaming self with his wide receivers in plus matchups. It wasn't overly great here, but 267 yards, two touchdowns, interception. If you streamed Ben Roethlisberger, you did not lose because of him, and that's usually what you're looking for out of a streaming quarterback anyway, somebody to suffice for the time being. But once again, and I keep bringing this up, his favorite go-to wide receiver as far as targets go continues to be Deontay Johnson, and frankly, it wasn't even close. 16 targets in this game. For Deontay Johnson, 12 catches, 111 yards. The only thing he didn't do was score in this ball game. He's been absolutely phenomenal. He's been very consistent since he's been able to stay healthy over the past one. Say about to a month now. I think was the last time he's really been injured. So good things to see out of there. Continue to play Deontay Johnson as a high end wide receiver too. Maybe even approaching that wide receiver one territory if he continues to get targeted like this. Chase Claypool found the end zone again in this game. Four catches, 59 yards, eight targets, second most targeted wide receiver. But does like I said, it gets that touchdown. You have to play him every single week as a low-end wide receiver, too, with more boom potential. He's not going to get the same amount of targets as a Deontay Johnson, or normally speaking, would not get the same amount of targets as a Juju Smith-Schuster, who got knocked out of this game for a little while due to an injury. We'll have to see. Their game is on Thursday night. They play the Baltimore Ravens Thanksgiving night. Uh, Mike Tomlin did come out after the game and say right away that he doesn't expect it to be a long-term injury. But because this game is going to be on Thursday, they will have to see how he progresses through this short week to see if he will be available, in fact, for that Baltimore game. So something we're going to have to keep your eyes on. Make sure you're tuning in to us on Twitter at BellyUpMDFFShow because we'll keep you up to date on that throughout the week. Unfortunately, if you played him, he didn't come through for you in this game. We had you know, all three of these receivers ranked as wide receiver twos, and we weren't the only ones. But unfortunately, before he got injured, he was only able to put up four catches for 19 yards on five targets in this ball game. So really a disappointing performance out of Juju before he had to leave the game. Hopefully, though, you have him back because he's actually, while he hasn't had that big ceiling that you had gotten used to Juju having from a couple of years ago, and he's essentially taken a bit of a backseat to Deontay Johnson when it comes to overall targets, and he's taken a bit of a backseat when it comes to Chase Claypool and the touchdowns. He has been pretty consistent over the past few weeks as his Steeler offense has really started to be more aggressive to spread out and start really start taking advantage of what it is that they have there. Uh, so Juju Smith-Schuster should continue to be a low-end wide receiver too once he's back in the lineup. We'll see what happens going into that Thursday night game. We'll know more for you throughout the week. James Conner had a better game at least, got back on track in some senses, but I don't like the fact that he only had 13 carries in a game. Once again, the Steelers pretty much dominated from start to finish. 13 carries, 89 yards. He only tacked on three catches for 10 yards in this ball game. Benny Snell vultures him in the touchdown department, which was really kind of disappointing. He got set up on the one-yard line instead of sticking with James Conner. They decided to go with Benny Snell. This isn't something that has been 
routine necessarily for this team. It's not automatic that Benny Snell comes in when the team gets down at the one-yard line and vultures James Conner, so I would not label this a true vulture situation where now we have to worry about whether or not Connor's ever going to score touchdowns from within the five because it's Benny Snell's job. It hasn't really been the case. It's been a hit or miss thing. They have kept Connor at the goal line before. Sometimes they bring in Benny Snell. Sometimes they don't. It's just kind of one of those things. It was good in some senses that finally in a plus matchup, Connor looks good. He had a 6.8 yard per carry average, but once again, his overall touches is what bothers me at the end of the day. When you have a team that is up multiple scores against quite a few opponents in a row now, and the fact that they still will not just go to the running game, they still will not just hand the ball off to James Conner, something that they're going to need to do as this gets colder. I mean, they've even talked about going into this game, but they know that they need to get that running game going again and know that they need to get James Conner in particular going again. And like I said, while it was a much more efficient day, I'm still bothered by the fact that he didn't get as many touches as he should have in this type of ball game. And then you go into next week against the Baltimore Ravens, which if they have Clayus Campbell back or if they have Brandon Williams back will not be a very good matchup for the running back situation. Again, two things we're going to have to look out for when determining James Conner's value moving forward. At the end of the day, he's still an RB2. He still had 16 touches in this game, which is more than you can say for a lot of other running backs right now with the way the running back landscape has kind of have kind of value itself out as we've moved on into the season. So that's kind of been the issue overall. Just getting a guy who has 16 touches is somebody worth playing. Connor's still an RB2, but not as good as he was a month ago. Because a month ago, man, he was knocking on the door of being a low-end RB1 with the way he was being utilized in the passing game. He was getting 18 carries. That really hasn't been the case, and he's had some really nice matchups as of late, too. He really just hasn't been able to take advantage of, but... You're still going to play him every single week. We flip it over to the other side of the ball with the Jacksonville Jaguars. James Robinson, although he didn't have a huge game in this one, 17 carries for 73 yards, two catches for 21 yards, he just continues to be the bright spot in an otherwise ugly Jacksonville Jaguar offense, ugly Jackson Jaguar team in general. And look, 73 yards, 21 yards, total of 94 yards against the Pittsburgh Steelers frankly is impressive because there hasn't been too many running backs who have found success against the Steelers team. He just continued to play him as a really a low-end RB1. And if he starts getting back in the end zone with some consistency, he can actually probably catapult his value back into the top five heading for your playoff stretch. It's really been the big difference. The difference between what James Robinson was early on in the season and what he's become now is just a little bit of a slight tick, but it's that slight tick, and he's not scoring as much as he was early on in the season. However, he's still the bell cow guy. He's the running back getting the receptions. He's the running back getting all the carries. In fact, he had 100%, 100% of the running back touches in this game. I don't know if there's another running back out there who can pretty much say that, and he consistently has that high share just love James Robinson, what he's able to do. He is a matchup-proof, low-end RB1 play every single week. And what's amazing is that he's able to accomplish this while being on a team that, frankly, this doesn't put him in a lot of positions to score, especially with Jake Luton at quarterback, especially with some of the tougher matches they've been facing later on in this season than they were earlier on in the year where they were able to move the ball a little bit more effectively and have a little bit more garbage time points. Really hasn't been the case since Jake Luton's come into the ball game for Gardner Minshew. He was terrible in this game. He had four picks, looked lost at times. I know Doug Marone is seemingly hell bent on the idea that he does not want to go back to Gardner Minshew even when he's healthy. 
I don't know how much longer that lasts because I don't know how much longer you really need to have this experience here with Jake Luton. The only positive sign for him, from fantasy owner's perspective, is that he continues to target DJ Chark as the actual number one wide receiver with eight targets, but only four catches, 41 yards. It winds up meaning very little on an offense that's just overall just not that productive. DJ Chark, I you can, can still consider him as a wide receiver three. He does have the upside potential. He does have the volume since Jake Luton has taken over. But LaVisca Chenault will be back soon. And again, like I said, after this game especially, I just question how much longer is it going to be before they go back to a Gardner Minshew. And then with Minshew right now, you can't really trust that Chark's going to be the first target when he's been in the ball game so far this season. So something to kind of keep your eye on. Chark is somebody I think is matchup dependent. If you think the Jacksonville Jaguar offense as a whole will at least have a chance for some decent scoring potential, given who they're playing, then I think you can fire up DJ Chark as a confident wide receiver three. But otherwise, uh, he's somebody that I'm rotating in and out of my lineups, not somebody that I'm locking in to my starting wide receiver position, not even necessarily in the flex, depending on what my options are. And that's it. Nobody else is really fantasy relevant on the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we can move on into this next game, which there was a lot of really headlines I felt like coming out of this game. A lot of things that's kind of take away. And of course, I'm talking about the New Orleans Saints and the Atlanta Falcons. The Saints taking care of business 24 to 9. This game was never in doubt at any point in time. Matt Ryan was horrendous in this game 232 yards, two interceptions. I believe in the second half, they had negative yardage, or maybe they got to the positive, but they did absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing as a team in the second half. A big reason why, well, two big reasons why, Julio Jones goes down with a hamstring injury in this game. He tried to come back in on their last drive of the game when they were trying to get themselves back in it late, and he got one caught, one catch, and then that was it. He had to go right back out. He was in obvious pain on that play. I worry that Julio Jones is going to be a no-go for next week, and being that it's a hamstring issue, Maybe a multiple week thing. We know how these soft tissue injuries work. It's all going to be dependent upon how severe it was, what he's going to be able to do in practice. But as a betting man, which as a fantasy player, of course I am, I would bet on Julio Jones probably not being available for you guys in week 12. And I'm going to give you a point on that too, because the last really leagues out there for that have the trade deadline for week 12. And I've talked about this leading up into this week that the, a lot, there's still a lot of leagues out there that their trade deadlines are week 12. You're approaching that now this week. If you have Julio Jones and you can sell him to somebody who is in playoff contention and they believe they'll have Julio for the stretch run. And you're somebody who's fighting like a dog over these last two regular season games to try to make the postseason in your leagues, selling him off could be the way to go. Now you don't just sell him off for anything, of course, but if you can sell him off for a, I don't know, high-end wide receiver two, maybe with a accompanied by another wide receiver three or maybe a low-end RB2 or something of that nature, if you can get a package deal of a couple of players that you can actually utilize that will help you week 12 and week 13 and improve your chances to at least make the postseason, that's something to kind of consider right now. Because if Julio Jones is not going to be around for week 12, and we don't know if he's going to be around for week 13... And if, and if you're a team who's trying to fight to get into that playoffs in that last spot and you need to win these next two games, what good is he going to be to you? The only player, person he's going to have value to is somebody who's sitting in a position where they're looking to make the playoffs now. That's it. 
Otherwise, Julio has no value for you. So selling him off is not a crazy idea before your trade deadlines are up for those that have it in Week 12. So just kind of a little bit of advice there, given the circumstances around his hamstring injury. You're probably not going to be able to get a ton for him like you normally would for a Julio when you're, if you were ever going to look to trade him in that sense. But in this situation, I see a lot of circumstances where it might make sense to try to trade Julio Jones and try to save your seasons while you still can. Calvin Ridley, nine targets in this game, five catches, 90 yards. He's the only player that does not get affected by Julio Jones not being available for this Atlanta Falcon offense moving forward. We've seen this song and dance in the beginning of the year. When Julio plays, then Matt Ryan becomes a top 12 quarterback. Calvin Ridley still Calvin Ridley. Hayden Hurst is a, you know, a solid tight end. All of that goes away. When Julio Jones goes off the field. And even Todd Gurley, who's still a touchdown dependent, that that part doesn't really change. But the opportunities that he receives to score touchdowns goes down when Julio Jones is not in the lineup because the offense as a whole just does not function nearly as well. So that is my issue. That is my concern when it comes to this Atlanta team moving forward. Matt Ryan's not somebody who's going to probably be in my top 12 as long as Julio Jones is out. Todd Gurley will be at best, a low-end RB2 who, of course, is touchdown dependent. I'm not touching Russell Gage. I won't want to touch Hayden Hurst, who goosed you guys today. I'm not touching anything. The only thing I could said that doesn't affect with Julio being out is Calvin Ridley because the volume will head his way, so he will have the floor, and he'll be able to go over 100 yards and have a touchdown with or without Julio on the field. But he is the only one that you can count on with no Julio Jones, which I think you're going to be looking at at least for Week 12 most likely coming up. So that's what you have to do and consider when it comes to your Atlanta Falcons fantasy football players. We flip it on the other side where the other narrative is. And before we get into Taysom Hill, which of course is a big story, I want to talk about the Saints defense. Because they're for real. They're back. The Saints defense is finally playing over the past three weeks now how we expected them to be coming into the season. This was supposed to be a very good defense. Now, they had a lot of injuries, especially up front, which affected their ability to have pass rushing. They didn't even have Marshawn Lattimore in this game. And over the past three weeks, this has been a top defense. If this is a defense that's still available in your league... Not only do I think you can pick them up and play them with confidence, but you might be able to ride them all the way out for the rest of the season. Drew Brees is on the IR. And as long as Taysom Hill is going to be the quarterback, I believe the overall philosophy of the New Orleans Saints is going to be let's run the football, control the clock, and let's play good defense. And now their defense finally has some healthy pieces, I believe that's going to be able to come to fruition. So the Saints defense, believe it or not, even as badly as they started off this season, might be morphing into the defense we thought we could be going into the second half of the year, making them a very valuable pickup piece. That was a big thing that caught my attention when watching this game all the way through. And I saw quite a bit of this game as I watched each and every one, or at least a little bit of each and every one. I tried to as much as I can. So we come on this show and I give you a quick analysis on everything that happened. Now we can talk about the main narrative that everybody wants to talk about. There was a big story of the week in fantasy football, especially if you're in ESPN leagues leading up into this matchup, and that's Taysom Hill. And he looked good. 18-23, 233 yards. He didn't throw for a touchdown, but he didn't throw for a pick either. And he looked very competent throwing the football. He showed off his arm a couple times. Actually had a big bomb touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders that was called back due to a holding penalty. But he showed off that he, in fact, not only understands this offense very well, that, that's what stuck out to me, is he truly understood this offense and where he needed to go with the ball and what he needed to do and everything like that. 
But he also showed to me that he has, in fact, the arm. He's not Tim Tebow out there. He he is a legitimate thrower at the position. And somebody who's going to be a top-end streamer, a top-12 quarterback the rest of the way. Now, as far as those ESPN leagues go where he was eligible at the tight end position, my my inclination, the information that I have, I believe, is that he will only be eligible at quarterback at ESPN heading into next week. At least that's that's the... Uh, impression that I've been left with so far. They wanted to wait and see, was he in fact going to be the starting quarterback all the way through this game? And then that was, he was probably going to lose his tight end eligibility. So for those of you who played him at, at that position, it's probably the last week you're going to be able to get to do that. But Hill is still going to be a guy that I think you're going to want to keep on your fantasy roster, especially if you're somebody who picked him up and has been streaming quarterbacks in general, because I believe he will be a guy who gives you top 12 potential. Because what he did do in this game was he ran the ball for 50 yards, and he ran the ball for two touchdowns. Kind of view him as a Cam Newton with better weapons. And Cam, in the right matchup, has been very fantasy-worthy throughout the season. Now, there's been some dud games, but again, that's where it goes into he has a higher floor than a Cam Newton does because he has much better weapons to be able to go to in Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders and Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray and Jared Cook. Much better weapons surrounding him. So he's going to be able to score with ease, and he's going to be a guy who's going to very much be a goal line threat. Now, on the flip side of that, that's where we get into some concerns that I know people are going to have heading into the rest of this week, especially when you view a la Alvin Kamara. Now, he did score a touchdown in this game, which kind of saved your day, but only 13 carries for 45 yards. Here's the kicker. One target for zero receptions. Alvin Kamara had zero receptions in this game and only one target. That, if you're a Kamar owner, with seeing against the Atlanta Falcons and seeing Taysom Hill is concerning. I know some of the people out there who are going to look at, choose to look at this as the glass half full are going to view this in a way where it's, oh, well, Atlanta's actually really good against the running backs, whether they're receiving the ball or running the ball. Yeah, all that is true. They they have played much better in that capacity. That would surprise a lot of people who aren't necessarily paying attention to that. However, this is more about the target share and where did it go. It's more about the fact that he only threw the ball 23 times and that that is a number that I think more times than not is what they're going to be hovering around. Very seldom over these next at least few weeks anyway do I expect Taysom Hill to go over 30 pass attempts. So where he goes with his targets is very, very important when trying to figure out what are these guys' value moving forward. I'm a little concerned about Alvin Kamara. Now, am I concerned with the idea that you're benching? Of course not. Am I, but am I concerned with him with the idea that is he going to maintain his top five running back value that you put on this guy every single week over the next few weeks until Drew Brees comes back? That I question. That I seriously, seriously question. First and foremost, I don't like the fact that they continue to pretty much nearly split Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara almost 50-50 as far as carrying the ball. I mean, Murray had 12 carries in this game to Kamara's 13. And even Latavius Murray actually had two targets to Alvin Kamara's one and two receptions for 36 yards. But if the idea is that this is going to be a virtual 50-50 split in the backfield between Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara as far as how many times they're doing snap shares and Kamara's not getting his you know five to seven targets or, or even more so than that, when they had Drew Brees out there, because Taysom Hill is looking to throw the ball down the field more so when he is throwing it, because he can run it himself, and therefore doesn't maybe look to check it down quite as much as a Drew Brees would. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That all leads to Kamara not having nearly the ceiling that he should have if he's not going to then overtake Latavius Murray in the carry department. And if he didn't come away with a touchdown this game, this was a super dud game out of Alvin Kamara. So I am concerned. I don't know if this was just a, this is our first game with Taysom Hill, and he, you know, he's still getting acclimated offense, his first start and first game that he's played all the way through all four quarters as the quarterback, and will that get better? I mean, it is Alvin Kamara. Do I expect him to get more than one target next week? Yes, 100%. But do I think what we saw today is more or less going to be the overall philosophy, the overall schematics that we're going to see with Taysom Hill quarterback? Yes, I do. I don't think we saw anything today that's only going to change next week. And that's where I say Kamara's ceiling, and quite frankly his floor, takes a bit of a hit with Taysom Hill playing quarterback if this is how they're going to play it. I I am concerned from that degree where he might not be a top five running back moving forward right now. And I could hear the people in the back of my head was like, well, what does that mean? Because you talked about trading Julio Jones. In Alvin Kamara's case, you would have to get the hell of a package because he's still a tremendous talent. He still can take the rock. He still can touch the ball 15 times and give you a top five performance because he's just that good. But I am a little bit worried about the floor and what kind of consistent touches he's going to be seeing, especially when it comes to the passing game. You'd have to get an RB1 in return, and you'd have to get a high-end wide receiver 2 or an additional high-end RB2 in return for me to want to make that move. But it's not something that's out of the question depending on what you can get in return because I do believe there's a real concern here about exactly what his value is going to be as far as being a top-end elite player. And even going into this game, Alvin Kamara has not been the big-time player that he had been for most of the season over the past couple of weeks to begin with. He hasn't been having those 100-yard scrimmage games and going for touchdowns. I know last week he had three touchdowns, but look at his touches, look at his yards. Take away those touchdowns, it's not overly impressive. That's my concern, is that... Will he turn into a touchdown-dependent guy in some senses, just a more efficient, more explosive one than, say, a Todd Gurley type? That's where I'm a little bit concerned about with Alvin Kamara and what his value is truly going to be. Will he be a top five or will he be more of a low-end RB1 moving forward? That's something I think we got to keep our eyes on with this new offense under Taysom Hill. Obviously, Tavis Murray, he still continues just to be a high-end handcuff. But let's get into what was the what was the bright spot besides Taysom Hill himself, which was Michael Thomas. He had his best game of the year with Taysom Hill at quarterback today. Nine catches, 104 yards, 12 targets. I talked about looking at where the targets were going with Taysom Hill under center is going to be very important because there's going to be fewer pass attempts. 
Well, Michael Thomas was not only his number one read every time, but he made an effort to get him the football. So that is one thing I will take as a positive if you've been a Michael Thomas owner and you've been very frustrated and considerably so this entire season to finally see him get double-digit targets and be featured like the number one wide receiver he really should be. And having that be done with Taysom Hill under center makes you feel a lot better about what your prospects of Michael Thomas are moving forward until Drew Brees is able to return. We're, we're going to find out exactly when it is. It sounds like he like pretty much fractured his entire rib cage because every time we get a new report, it's always there's an, another rib that's been injured, another rib that's been injured that they keep finding later and later on. That's why he got put on the IR, and I think it's a big question if he actually comes back in the three weeks' time that he would be able to come back for. I think there's, there's a decent chance here, at least for the rest of the fantasy season, that Taysom Hill could be the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. So it's important to know where Michael Thomas stands. This should give you a vote of confidence. And even Emmanuel Sanders, he's somebody that I think should be rostered. Because like I said, he had a big-time touchdown that was taken back in this game. He had another target where he was targeted in the red zone before. He could have he easily had two touchdowns in this game with the way this thing went. He had four catches, 66 yards on five targets at the end of the day. Somebody they think should be rostered and kind of interesting to watch as this Taysom Hill offense starts to play itself out. But there was a lot to take out of that game that we were really questioning, wondering about, and some good, some bad. It's one game. It still remains to be seen. Still don't want to overreact too much one way or another really with anybody. But what we saw, like I said, from a philosophy standpoint, I think is what we're going to continue to see out of New Orleans Saints. So let's now take the time to move into the Philadelphia Eagles, move into the Cleveland Browns game. Once again, another Cleveland Browns game at home that had horrendous weather and really mucked a lot of things up for fantasy owners who had pieces in this ball game. We'll start with the Browns side of the ball. They took care of business 22-17, won the game at home. They're now 7-3, and looking pretty primed for one of those wild card uh, positions for the playoffs. It really looks like they're going to be making the playoffs this year. Once again, you know Baker Mayfield is nothing, but this is not what this team is going to be built around, especially with Nick Chubb back in the lineup, who does go for 20 carries for 114 yards, over 5 yards a carry, against a very tough run defense in the Philadelphia Eagles. And if you're not sure how tough they are, well, just ask Kareem Hunt, who was incredibly inefficient. 13 carries for 11 yards. He does save your day with a touchdown, though, because he gets you he gets you the rushing touchdown at the goal line. One catch, 10 yards on one target. Nick Chubb wasn't targeted at all. So you're still able to play Kareem Hunt. You're, he, was, he wasn't the reason you lost if you did wind up losing this past week, and I believe you'll be able to continue playing Kareem Hunt alongside Nick Chubb as an RB2. I don't think there's any question about that. And Nick Chubb, I think, is somebody who has to be considered a weekly mid to low end RB1 moving forward because all he has to do is score a touchdown. This guy is rushing for 100 yards almost every single week that he's been healthy so far this season. It doesn't matter who they're playing against. He has been efficient and looks great as long as he is healthy and out there on the field. So that's the good news coming out of the Cleveland Browns. Outside of that, I don't know if there's anything fantasy relevant here. Now, yes, it was a bad, it was another bad weather game. So the passing attack especially is going to be affected by that to some degree. Like I said, Baker was nothing. He was 12 for 22, 204 yards, no touchdowns. The biggest, the best thing he really did for this team was he didn't throw any interceptions. That was honestly the best thing that he did for his team. But Jarvis Landry, two targets, two catches, 23 yards. Rashard Higgins, four targets, three catches, 65 yards. Austin Hooper, five targets, three catches, 33 yards. 
This is a passing attack you're not going to be able to trust. Baker Mayfield threw the ball 22 times. Rain or no rain, if they're able to run the football the way they were in this game, the way they want to most weeks, that's kind of the pass attempt. That's kind of the number you're looking at out of a Baker Mayfield. It just doesn't leave much room. And in Jarvis Landry's case, where my hope was that without OBJ, we could see something similar to what we saw a couple of seasons ago, where he didn't necessarily have a great ceiling, but he just kept getting targeted and targeted and targeted over and over and over again, that he would make himself a wide receiver too. Targets haven't been there consistently enough. Jarvis Landry, to me, is somebody who should not be owned in your rosters. As a matter of fact, we can even hit this sounder for him. Prepare to be flushed. I was holding out some hope that he would be able to turn the corner and become that high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two with a good floor based on the target volume that he could see with no OBJ. I'm simply just not touching anything in this Cleveland Browns offense if I can help it, not named Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt. So we flip it over to the other side of the ball. We go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Miles Sanders, who started off this game pretty hot and then cooled way off, part of that, of course, due to the Poor play, once again, of Carson Wentz. 235 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Just another turnover-prone day out of the Eagles offense that really kind of screwed a lot of things up on their um, on their fantasy players on their offensive side of the ball. Here's the silver line I do have for you. Dallas Goddard finally, finally has the good tight end performance that you knew he could have, knew he should be having, know that the talent is there, know that the offense is there, and finally came through with a decent game in this one. Five catches, 77 yards, scores a touchdown, six targets, which was the second most targets on the day. Jalen Rager, five targets, four catches, 52 yards. Again, very much a wide receiver four, very much a boom or bust product, and frankly, not much more than that. Richard Rodgers, he came through with another touchdown, actually, but only two catches, 48 yards on two targets. It very much went Dallas Goddard's way as far as being the main guy at the tight end position after last week. Richard Rodgers actually led him in targets in that one. The other big story for the Philadelphia Eagles, of course, has to be Travis Fulgham. For the second week in a row, comes away with one reception. Now, the difference in this game was that he had seven targets. So he was targeted the most, but they just were not able to get him the ball. Alshon Jeffries only targeted twice. Carson Wentz's poor play is starting to really kill a lot of the value of these pass catchers to the point where you play Dallas Goddard because you need a good tight end. And especially until Zach Ertz comes out, you know he's the starting tight end. Outside of that, I don't know how much you want to touch anybody else. I mean, Travis Fulgham was already somebody I was pretty low on. I was I had him at wide receiver 34 coming into this game. I was already dropping him quite a bit because I didn't like what I saw the previous week. Didn't like what I saw this week either. They are rotating these wide receivers so much to the point where nobody's really at a set position. No one's really the guy anymore. They're trying to get Alshon Jeffrey worked in and get him acclimated for what could presumably be still a playoff run, even as a 3-6-1 team. But Carson Wentz continues to get more out of sync. The offensive line continues to be horrendous. Outside of Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders, I don't know if there's anybody else on here that I want to touch. And even Sanders was only okay. Three catches, 15 yards, 16 carries, 66 yards in this game. But he's somebody, if he can't start finding the end zone pretty soon, all you're hoping for is a high-volume RB2 floor out of a Miles Sanders. And he really should be more than that. But that offensive line is just not doing anybody on this team really any favors. And Carson Wentz, at this point, is 100% 
matchup-based streaming only. So even when he has a good matchup, he's still not going to necessarily be considered a top-12 quarterback. He can maybe be considered in that streaming territory, but that's about it. With the way he's playing, it hasn't really mattered who they're matched up with. Now, Cleveland's defense played really well in this game, and they, but they played the Giants. They've played some of these other NFC teams. They played down to the Dallas Cowboys early on in the season. Even if he has a plus matchup, he's still only a streaming idea, still not a guy who's necessarily going to crack the top 12 in any given week moving forward. So something kind of just to keep in mind there for you guys. Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, I don't really want to touch anybody else on the Philadelphia Eagles moving forward if we can at all help it with the way this offense is played. So then we move into the big game of the week, the Titans, the Baltimore Ravens, Derrick Henry winning this thing for the for the Titans in overtime. We'll get to the Ravens in a second because they have a continued spiel that I need to go on with them that I went on earlier on in the week on the Thursday show. Ryan Tannehill had a, had a decent game in this one. 259 yards, two touchdowns, a pick. Good considering it was a tough match against Baltimore. Good considering he hasn't really played well as they've gone through this tough stretch of games as of late. And it was good that he was able to get the ball out to the playmakers that you actually depend upon. Corey Davis, seven targets, five catches, 113 yards. A.J. Brown, four catches, 62 yards, a touchdown on seven targets. And even Janu Smith, which the four for 20 wasn't all that impressive, but he received a touchdown. And more importantly, after only getting two targets a game every single week for the last month, finally had six targets in this game. So he got the ball to the guys that you actually depend upon. Now, one quick note on A.J. Brown in overtime. Before Derrick Henry ended the game on that same drive, he came down with a catch, he came down on the sideline, he came down hard on his knee, that knee that has been bothering him throughout the season. He had to come out for that next play. Now, it just happened to be that Derrick Henry ended the game soon after that, so we didn't really get a good idea if he would have been able to come back had they kept driving in that one. But he was in obvious pain. That much was for sure. And it left me a little bit concerned, being that it was a knee that he had already missed time for in the first place, was a knee bone bruise, which is something that's always going to be very painful. And if you bang it right, can flare up again. A.J. Brown's already been somebody who misses practice every single Thursday as part of his maintenance with the knee issue, making sure he's healthy and good to go. We are going to have to watch him, unfortunately, very, very closely throughout the practice week. So make sure you're following us at Show on social media so we'll get you up to date on that. But that is my one concern here. We're going into the Thanksgiving week. We have three games on Thursday. So a lot of people are going to be put in positions where they're going to kind of need to be able to make a snap decision on a player who's maybe or maybe not playing on Sunday, depending upon what they have going on Thursday. So we're going to keep you up to date on that. Hopefully, if we can see him at least come out in a limited capacity on Wednesday at practice, then we will be pretty confident we'll be able to go. Hopefully, it was just a pain thing and it didn't re-bruise all over again. But just a kind of a, a little note in case you missed the end of that game, A.J. Brown did come down on his knee and was definitely in some discomfort and had to come off the field. Derrick Henry was great. 28 carries, 133 yards. Like I said, he had the touchdown that ended the game. Like I expected Derrick Henry to have success this week with no Clayus Campbell, no Brandon Williams. Honestly, I think they held him in check for more of that game than I really kind of expected them to. 
And because he was able to have success, that was why Ryan Tannehill was able to have a decent game. They have one more tough matchup next week against the Indianapolis Colts, and then their schedule gets tremendously easier as we move into the fantasy playoffs. So Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, and even Ryan Tannehill, guys that you wanted to be able to lean on for fantasy football purposes and have been kind of frustrated by over the past couple of weeks, things will get easier at the most important time of your season. So for those out there who dropped Ryan Tannehill, and there was quite a bit of people who did because I noticed his uh, shares went way down, he is somebody who's going to be back at the top 12 quarterback position as a top streamer option after they get over the Colts game in next week. So starting from week 13 on, you're going to go back to Ryan Tannehill as a top 12 quarterback each and every week. All right, so let's move into the Baltimore Ravens. And once again, the team was not able to get the passing attack really going, or more specifically, I should say, Marquise Brown going and Lamar Jackson going against a team that has been poor in the secondary, poor against passing attacks, and we're still not able to get much going. Now, there were some bittersweetness, there were some silver linings in a lot of bitterness, and that was Mark Andrews showing you some life, getting back in the end zone. I told you guys to stay strong with Mark Andrews, that it would eventually happen for him. Seven targets, five catches, 96 yards, touchdown on this one, came on 31-yarder at that. That was nice to see, and that is what continues the need to be to happen. He needs to be the guy Lamar Jackson leans on in the passing game when they do actually go back to throw the ball. The other silver lining to this game was J.K. Dobbins. 15 carries, 70 yards, and a touchdown, but that's not the most important part. The most important part was that Gus Edwards, three carries. Mark Ingram, two carries. I have been harping on this out of Greg Roman this entire time. If you want to take this Baltimore team to the next level, you have to get rid of this three-man rotation at the running back. You have to allow someone to get into rhythm. They did that this week, and the rushing attack looked much better as a result of it. And even though they wound up losing this game, I thought there were times in which their offense actually looked like it had an identity at times. So J.K. This is now this is not enough of a sample size for me to now suddenly turn around and say, you know what, this is J.K. Dobbins' job moving forward and fire him up as an RB2, fire him up as a must-play. No, this is not enough data. It is enough to say if J.K. Dobbins is available on your waiver wire because there's a good chance that he might be, especially in redraft leagues, go ahead and pick him up. Because if we see a second week in a row, especially against the Pittsburgh Steelers, where J.K. Dobbins gets to dominate the touches out of the backfield again, or at the very least, it's only a two-man rotation, not a three-man rotation against the Steelers in an important divisional matchup, that will be the game where you can be confident in the data that you receive if that winds up happening again. But it's only one game, so that's why we can't go out and say that suddenly this is not a three-man rotation anymore. So just something to kind of consider, something to kind of watch going into Thanksgiving night. Pick up J.K. Dobbins, get ready to play him. If it winds up working out in the same or at least similar rotation that it did in today's game, but if it doesn't, I don't want you to have in your lineups in case they go back to the three-man carousel. So like I said, it's not enough, but keep your eye on it. There's a possibility if he does if he does go off again against Pittsburgh Steelers, or at least in the touch standpoint, J.K. Dobbins is somebody you might be able to ride and be one of the one of those players that made you go from a team that barely made the playoffs to a possible championship team because he has that type of talent. He has that type of situation if he's allowed to be the guy. But this is the first time we've seen it all season long. So just be aware of that factor. Now we get into the negative of it. Lamar Jackson 
186 yards, a touchdown, an interception. At times, again, just looked frustrated. That interception he threw was a total frustration play where he just wanted to throw the ball down the field and was tired of dinking and dunking, was tired of nothing being open, was tired of nothing being easy. He just looked very frustrated throughout this game, frankly, I thought. And then Marquise Brown, three targets and completely goosed you. If you've been holding out hope for Marquise Brown... Prepare to be flushed. Do not hold out hope any longer. No, not any more. That's the sad part about it. There is absolutely no reason in the world that Marquise Brown should be looked at as any differently than you look at a Henry Ruggs on the Raiders, for instance, where if you're playing him... You know he has the capability to make that one big play, but you know the odds are small, and you know that his target share is, or at least I should say his volume, is not going to be very high. There's no reason Marquise Brown should be in your lineups, and frankly, I don't see a reason why you should even own him at this point, given the sad state that the passing attack is in. One quick thing I'll just mention, Des Bryant, five targets in this game, four catches, 28 yards. Not that you should be picking him up, not that he's fantasy relevant, but it was just nice to see Des Bryant actually be utilized in a meaningful way uh, during this game. It was nice to see him back out there and back on the football field. Lamar Jackson himself had 51 yards rushing. Again, I think you you have to view Lamar the way we viewed Lamar his rookie season, where... You knew you probably weren't going to get these big ceiling games, but you knew that because of his rushing ability and because he was going to rush every single week, that as a quarterback, he had this high floor. Now, I know that's not what you drafted him to be because a lot of people who have Lamar Jackson, you took him in the third round. You took him to be an elite QB1. You took him to be an elite piece of your team, frankly, an elite piece of your championship hopeful team. I understand it 100%, but you have to start viewing Lamar in that sense because if you can change your view, and I know it's hard for people to do as you get into the season, but if you can change your view on Lamar to being what he was his rookie season, which was a high-floor quarterback because of his rushing ability, and roster construct based off of that. Meaning, if you have a quarterback with a good matchup who has a much higher ceiling and you know that you need to be able to hit at that quarterback position, you need to hit 25, maybe 30 points to enable to give yourself a good chance depending on who your opponent is that week, I'm not afraid to bench Lamar Jackson. Period. That's the way you have to view it. If you just need a guy to get you a high floor... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This is just to solidify your quarterback position and you feel good everywhere else and you don't need to go but and you don't need to go for a guy who might be boomer bust at that at, as a streamer at the quarterback position then I'm good with playing Lamar Jackson but that's how he has to be viewed unfortunately as unfathomable as that is as as frustrating as that is as long as Greg Roman continues to call plays and that's not going to change this season 
that's that's how you have to view Lamar Jackson right now with the way this offense has been operating, unfortunately. Now, like I said, maybe if J.K. Dobbins or just the three-man rotation turns into at least a two-man rotation, I think that will go a long way in helping open things up down the season. But for instance, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, you have to look at Lamar Jackson's having a high floor, not a very good ceiling, and not necessarily a top 12 quarterback. And that's going to be going for that really every single week. So you have to change your view on Lamar Jackson moving forward. Let's go into the Carolina game, the Detroit game. I think it's the first shutout of the season, if I'm not mistaken here. Lions putting up a big goose egg. All I can say to that is they're probably just saving everything they have for Thanksgiving because you know the Lions always play really well on Thanksgiving Day and they're probably just saving everything they have in the tank for that game and just didn't bother to show up in this game. Because look, P.J. Walker was a starting quarterback and a lot of people were raving that, oh, you look good and he played... I didn't think he played particularly well. But the fact that you got goosed is really concerning. I mean, Matthew Stafford, not that he was a streamer because we all knew that with the with the thumb injury, we weren't sure exactly what we were going to get. We knew that DeAndre Swift had gotten knocked out of this game. We knew that they weren't going to have Kenny Galladay. A lot of pieces on offense were missing for the Detroit Lions. There's no doubt about that. But you still should not have been goosed by a Carolina defense that is a below-average defense at the end of the day. Again, I expect them to be much better on Thursday. However, keep in mind... It's a long shot, frankly, at best that DeAndre Swift's going to be able to play. And we have no idea on Kenny Galladay. He practiced in a limited capacity on Wednesday, but then didn't practice again for the rest of the week. Not a great sign. It is a short week. I would say that there's more of a 50% chance that neither one of those guys play on Thanksgiving against Houston than do. But the one guy I think you can play that game, because it's Houston especially, is Marvin Jones. He continues to have a healthy target share. He had six in this game, four catches, 51 yards. I still liked what I saw out of him athletically from a physical standpoint. He, I don't know whether he just seems to be more in sync or whatever the, the deal is. I do think you're going to be able to play Marvin Jones next week against Houston, especially if Kenny Galladay is not going to be able to go. TJ Hawkinson had a decent game for you here today. Four catches, 68 yards on seven targets. He unfortunately wasn't able to score. But for a tight end right now, the Titans in general, actually, as we're going through these games, we're finally able to get some life to them after last week, which was completely abysmal. We're actually actually able to put up solid stat lines from the guys that you really thought should be able to put up solid stat lines. And TJ Hawkinson continues to be a tight end one at this point and will continue to do so, especially as they need to lean on him with Kenny Galladay and some other guys out. The way the running back rotation worked out, we're not going to pay attention to their efficiency or their stat line because it was absolutely pathetic, but the the touches, how they worked out, was Adrian Peterson out carry, carry on by one carry, and then carry on Johnson had five targets in this game. So uh, so just looking at opportunities, kind of went how we expected it to. You know, carry on was a little bit more involved in the rushing game. If DeAndre Swift can't go on Thursday, and of course we'll talk about all this on the Thursday morning preview show, 8 to 9 a.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. But if he if DeAndre Swift can't go, I would suspect that Adrian Peterson will probably get a little bit more work than Carryon Johnson in the carries, and he'll stick to Carryon Johnson being more of the pass catching back uh, heading into that matchup. That's what I would assume. Other than that, really not a lot to take out of the Detroit Lions game because really not a lot happens, and most of the key players that you're looking for are guys that were just questioning whether or not they're going to come back from injuries next week or not. So we flip over to Carolina side, and like I talked about a little bit with P.J. Walker, he played fine. I mean, he was 24 of 34, 258 yards. He had a passing touchdown. 
He had two horrendous picks. Not only did they both come in the end zone, but his last pick, there was nobody even in the vicinity. He looked, I don't know if he thought he threw it away. I don't know if he thought he threw it shorter than that and over th- whatever the case may be. There wasn't a receiver anywhere. There's two Carolina defenders in the back of the end zone, and he just threw one right to the guy. Like I said, I thought he played okay. He played serviceable with Teddy Bridgewater out, but had the Lions been able to put an actual competitive game plan together, I don't think people would even have a positivity about P.J. Walker coming out of this game. That's my personal opinion. However, he was able to get the ball out to the guys that you needed him to get the ball to like DJ Moore, who had a monster game in this one. Seven catches, 127 yards, and 11 targets. Curtis Samuel, a lot of people wanted to pick up and stream him and play him as a flex option this week, and he came through. Eight catches, 70 yards on 10 targets. Even Robbie Anderson, who didn't have a great stat line in the sense of he only had 46 yards, still had seven receptions, still had nine targets. P.J. Walker threw the ball down the field to the three wide receivers that you were hoping would get the ball. They all got their fair share of opportunities. They all got the ball. So that's the one thing I will say about P.J. Walker when it comes to a fantasy standpoint when you're talking about these wide receivers. They all got plenty of opportunities that you were hoping for. Mike Davis, maybe not as much as far as a receiving game. Only two catches, 15 yards on two targets in this one. But comes through with a decent game on the ground. Gets you the rushing touchdown, 64 yards. Wasn't very efficient. Even against the Detroit Lions, he wasn't very efficient. But still got you the job done. Still turned in an RB2 performance, which is pretty much all you can hope for out of Mike Davis at this point, who's been falling off more and more. And frankly, I believe, and I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now, since Christian McCaffrey went down again, I think you're going to have to deal with Mike Davis for at least Week 12 again. Uh, I don't think they're going to bring back McCaffrey before their bye week in Week 13, especially since they won this game. They're still in the playoff hunt. I don't think they're going to bring back McCaffrey any earlier than they have to. I don't think they have to bring him back until week 14. So I think you're still going to have to be without McCaffrey until then and play Mike Davis again next week as a guy who just continues to get volume. And right now, volume is the name of the game when it comes to the RB2s right now. So let's move into the New England Patriots and the Houston Texans. And this game, we thought would have some fantasy relevance to it. We knew this was two teams that were struggling on defense, and there was some key weapons that fantasy owners were looking to be able to utilize. But I never expected Cam Newton to throw for 365 yards in this game. Boy, did he come through for you guys big time. However, he didn't do anything on the ground. That was the odd part. 365 yards passing, only six yards on the ground. That's not what you've come to expect out of Cam Newton, but you'll still take it. Nonetheless, he still had a decent day for you. Had a passing touchdown as well. Look pretty decent against Houston. Of course, Houston secondary makes a lot of guys look better than what they were, though. Demir Bird, six catches, 132 yards, a touchdown on seven targets. The disappointment here is Jacoby Myers. Only three targets in this game, three catches, 38 yards. Somebody who had been garnering a lot of volume, somebody who had been entering that territory of you almost expect him to have you know, double-digit targets. You expected him to have a good game in this one. Didn't come through just when people were really starting to trust him and dig in on him as a wide receiver too. Three catches, 38 yards. Here's what I'm going to say. Demir Bird hasn't been a thing until this week all of a sudden. I believe Jacoby Myers, more times than not, will still be the wide receiver one for this team. I still believe he is a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two, who I do think more times than not, you'll be getting the volume that you're looking for. Um, Nikhil Harry came back and played in this game. He had eight targets, five catches, 41 yards. 
I don't think Nikhil Harry is what affects Jacoby Myers here. I think the fact that Demir Bird has such a big game is what affected Jacoby Myers most of all. But most of the time, even the Kier Harry in there, it doesn't affect Myers that much because now he gets to play the slot even more so, which is what he's been flourishing in in that role, in that Julian Edelman role, as a guy who can get maybe a little bit deeper down the field and a little bit more explosive when he touches the ball in those similar situations. So he's still the only wide receiver that I want to trust on a week-to-week basis. I'm not taking a lot out of this game because... I'm pretty positive that I could bet the house that Cam Newton's not going to throw for 365 yards again this season. I feel pretty confident in being able to say that. The other interesting note that we do have to take out of the New England Patriots game, though, is that Rex Burkhead got hurt. It sounds like he might have torn his ACL. Really unfortunate for him. What it does mean from a fantasy perspective, though, is that James White may finally get back into the pass catcher role that you expected him to be in more consistently. Uh, this game, nine targets in this game. He led the way in targets. Six catches, 64 yards. A lot of this coming after Rex Burkhead was knocked out of the game. And if Rex Burkhead is going to be gone, then we know James White is going to be the bona fide pass-catching running back, plain and simple. We know that. Damian Harris, 11 carries, 43 yards, a touchdown. So thankfully he came through with a touchdown for you guys because a lot of people were firing him up as an RB2, especially since it was Houston that they were playing. But now he's got Sony Michelle, who will likely be activated next week. That he's going to have to deal with. We're going to see how that breaks down. Maybe, maybe Damian Harris enters the Rex Burkhead role because he is a guy who can catch the ball and do a little bit of both. Maybe he does. But I would be more willing to lean on the idea that James White will be getting almost 90%, if not more, of the passing down work. And then we're going to have to see how the carry share splits up between Damian Harris and a returning Sony Michelle. On the Texans side of things, Deshaun Watson coming through with a huge game. This is what you drafted him for, and he really hasn't been able to do it that much this season. But again, the Patriots defense is not the Patriots defense of old this season. 344 yards, two touchdowns, and tacked on an additional 36 yards on the ground with a rushing touchdown. And it was pretty much the entire rushing game because Duke Johnson, once again, was a tremendous disappointment. This is supposed to be a plus matchup on paper, and yet he walks away with 10 carries for 15 yards and three catches for 20 yards, which I guess in that sense, we talked about that last week, he needs to get at least five targets a game for him to establish some sort of floor. He did get five targets in this game, technically speaking. Now, I didn't imagine he would be this inefficient against the New England Patriots. Get Him getting five targets is what you need to see, though. However, this is the Houston Texans. We've seen them get their running backs involved one week, and then the following week decide, you know what, we don't need to throw them the ball anymore. That's the problem you've been running to with the Houston Texans as of late. So I am still a little bit concerned. Does Duke Johnson, is he still a low-end RB2 because he's getting all of the work? Sure, but he has a low ceiling, and frankly, depending on the matchup, has a low floor because he's proving again and again and again that this is why he was never given the opportunity that we all thought he was going to get in Cleveland or in Houston his first year. That, frankly, he's just not a very good running back. He's more of an athlete, more of a backup, more of a pass catcher, not actually a good runner. I think we're starting to see that more and more each week as he puts up these dud performances when he's finally given the opportunity to be in a lead role. But because he's a running back who's getting you know, 13, 15, 16, and I think the last week he got 18 touches total, he enters the low-end RB2 category because that's kind of what you're just looking for right now at the running back position. 
As far as the wide receivers go, here's what I will say. For Deshaun Watson having a 344-yard performance, there wasn't really any wide receivers who had an overly impressive game. I mean, Cooks was fine. He had four catches, 85 yards on five targets. Will Fuller was fine. He had six catches on eight targets for 80 yards. But Deshaun Watson really spread the ball out in this game. He had Jordan Atkins, five catches, 83 yards on six targets. Like I say, Duke Johnson getting five targets in this game. He really spread the ball out pretty evenly. Now, Randall Cobb scored a touchdown, but Randall Cobb hurt his toe. They already pretty much ruled him out for Thursday. You have a matchup against Detroit coming up. And that's why I say Duke Johnson, being that he is somebody who's still getting you know 90% of the work at the running back position for this team, with a matchup against Detroit, I think you can play Duke Johnson against Detroit. I think you can play Deshaun Watson. You're going to play Brandon Cooks. You're going to play Will Fuller. You can play all these guys next week on your Thanksgiving Day games. Now we got to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals and the Washington Football Club. And unfortunately, we saw Joe Burrow. We didn't get the. We haven't gotten the. Uh, you know, exact diagnosis yet or I should say we haven't got the MRI results yet and you may get that by the time you're listening to this show on your favorite streaming app because we record this Sunday night so you guys have it available to you Monday morning but the the word right now that we're getting is that it's most likely a torn ACL not only is that of course a devastating injury to a fun young player who has been playing really well this season but because of the timing of this injury I would say it's a long shot at best that he's going to be back for the beginning of the year. It's a long shot at best that he's not on the pup list come next season. We're in late November, almost early December, when he gets this injury. It usually takes a full year to really be able to recover from an ACL injury. Now, he's a young guy, and maybe he'll heal fast. Maybe he'll get through the rehab work. Maybe he'll be able to recover faster than most. I hope he does. But typically speaking, it takes a full year to recover. I think is a real long shot that he's not at least on the pup list come next year. So this is going to affect him and the Cincinnati Bengals in 2021 now with this injury at this point in the season. Just very, very unfortunate. Now, the other part of this is that we had Joe Mixon got sent to the short-term IR on Friday. The hope, the hope is that he's going to be able to come back after those three weeks, be fully healthy, and be able to come back and play. With this Joe Burrow injury, I begin the question at. First of all, they still haven't been upfront with us about the injury, or maybe they're not 100% sure exactly what it was, what they were dealing with, and that's why they waited till now to put him on the IR. Who knows? We know that he's dealing with something difficult that's not healing very fast. That much we do know. If Joe Burrow goes down, this is already a team that wasn't going to be fighting for the playoffs anyway. And week 14, I believe, is the first week Joe Mixon's eligible. You come back to week 14, a couple games now from, from here, and you've been dealing with Ryan Finley. Maybe outside of Zach Taylor wanting to keep his job, because there's a real chance he could get fired with the way this thing could turn out for the rest of the season, I don't know if there's a legitimate reason why you would bring Joe Mixon off of IR at any point this season with Joe Burrow out. It's not like he's going to get the chance to grow with them and see what kind of momentum you guys can get going into the following season. It's not like you're in playoff contention. I don't know. I think this throws a big wrinkle into the will Joe Mixon come back and play at some point this year. Now, look, he came back, he played, and had a great second half of the season with Ryan Finley at quarterback last season because they leaned on Joe Mixon in that offense. Being that you have a future in place now, again, I just, I wonder, unless Zach Taylor thinks he's coaching for his job, 
Do you bother to bring him back? I think it's something we're going to have to watch. In the meantime, the running back rotation, they haven't been able to get any kind of running game going since Joe Mixon's really been out. And especially over the past couple of weeks, Giovanni Bernard hasn't even really been able to fill the shoes all that much. Here's the other caveat to that. Samaji Perrine is too involved. The big thing that you have Giovanni Bernard for is that you know he's going to get all of the work, but he's not getting all of the work. This is the third week in a row now, third game in a row now, I should say, where he hasn't gotten all the work, where it's been... You know, him getting at least 40% of the carries. Now, he's not involved in the passing game too much. He only had two targets in this game to Junior Bayonard's five. But he had five carries to Junior Bayonard's nine carries in this ballgame. And it's not going for very much. 18 yards for Bernard. He only had 37 yards passing on four catches. If Bernard's not going to, now, five targets is fine. But if he's not going to get between five and seven targets, we know he's not an efficient runner. It's You need to be heavily involved in the passing game. And he has the opportunities, even though he's a smaller guy, to score touchdowns. I'll leave him in on those situations. That's why I worry about Samaja Perrine, because if he comes in more and more, they will give him goal line work. And that's the problem. So this is something I think we have to keep our eyes on in, in, a, in, a, big, in a big way. I'm very, very, very concerned about. He will still be a low-end RB2 because the expected volume will be headed his way, especially when we talk about half-point and full-point PPR leagues because of what we expect him to do in the reception game. We know with Ryan Finley, he'll check the ball down more times than not, and that leads us into the wide receivers. Finley doesn't have the arm of Joe Burrow. He's not going to sling the ball down the field. So automatically, a guy like T. Higgins takes a big hit in his fantasy value, unfortunately. A guy that people have come to lean on been great watching him play as a rookie too great to see him develop in the wide receiver that he's going to be developing into later on in his career you're going to look at the box you're going to see he has 10 targets in this game you're going to see Tyler Boyd had 11 you're going to see AJ Green had 9 most of that due to necessity a lot of it's still coming with Joe Burrow Ryan Finley we know has no arm we know he's not going to push the ball down the field the only person who salvages their fantasy value is Tyler Boyd because he'll be the guy that they think and dunk to, that they, they throw the intermediate ball to, that they throw the short routes to. He'll be the safety blanket. It's going to be Tyler Boyd and Gina Maya Bernard, I believe, is the guys that Ryan Finley is going to be leaning on in the passing game because it's going to be keep it short, keep it simple, keep it safe. It's going to be the three S's. A.J. Green finally got his first touchdown of the year. I lump him in with T. Higgins. Look, I'm not going to turn around and drop T. Higgins. We got we had you have to see what happens a little bit. We didn't see Ryan Finley with T. Higgins a year ago, and he's been too good to just turn around and drop him, just because Ryan Finley took over. But what I am telling you is that I'm going to be looking for reasons not to play him until I see this thing kind of play out a little bit. And I have real concern about T. Higgins and his fit and Ryan Finley what his capabilities are as as a quarterback because there aren't many. There's not much to it. So everybody's going to take a huge hit, except for Tyler Boyd and Giovanni Bernard will still be that high-volume, low-end RB2. It's really a shame to see. It was really a shame to see. On the Washington side of the ball, they didn't have to throw the ball that much. I mean, they kind of just dominated this game with their defense. So Alex Smith didn't go over 300 yards like he had the previous couple of weeks. He only had 166 yards in this game, touchdown and interception. Terry McLaurin was still fine. Five catches, 84 yards, seven targets. That's pretty much been his floor this year. It's a high floor for Terry McLaurin. Better days are ahead. They play the Dallas Cowboys next week. He still a, a still manages to give you solid production every single week. The big thing was J.D. McKissick, who I've been talking about. You know, As long as he's out there, he gets targeted a lot. 
technically speaking, he was still the second target or the third targeted guy on Washington Football Club. Three catches, 26 yards on four targets. He just wasn't, there wasn't that many passing attempts. There's only 25 passing attempts total on the game. So there just wasn't a lot of targets to go around. This wasn't a situation where Washington was trying to come back from behind or in a back-and-forth game in the second half where they're trying to keep pace that it had been for the first couple of weeks. So the second we have a game script like that where you think Washington's got to come back from behind, I think that's a predictive game script that you can look at ahead of time and know whether or not J.D. McKissick can be a flex play for you in that matchup. But because Joe Burrow went down, Cincinnati Bengals really never had a chance in the second half. And Washington knew that. Antonio Gibson, 16 carries, 94 yards, a touchdown. He continues to dominate the carries. He continues to dominate plus matchups. So if he has a very favorable matchup that you think Washington's going to be able to be competitive or even be able to lead in, Antonio Gibson's going to be very good. He continues to get most of the work in the carry game, but still gets outworked by J.D. McKissick in the passing game. So just kind of keep that in mind. The passing attack that you expect to get at Tony Gibson is just not going to come to fruition as long as Alex Smith's the quarterback and J.D. McKissick is healthy. Let's talk about the Miami Dolphins and the Denver Broncos and this disappointment of a game for a lot of people out there, especially for the Miami Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick came into the game. Now, they said that it looked like Tua had gotten hurt or maybe at least shaken up. He took a bad hit, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick came out after that. Brian Flores pretty much said right after the game that Tua was benched for his performance. He was not hurt. However, he also said right after the game that Tua will expect will be expected to be the starting quarterback next week and moving forward. It was just that in this situation, I thought Ryan Fitzpatrick might be able to spark them back to a comeback. And he almost did until he threw an interception in the red zone. So they weren't far off there. They were, they were almost back in this game. I'm throwing this game out for the Miami Dolphins. They didn't play up to snuff, for sure. They were on the road against Denver. Denver's defense really played much better than they have any time during the past month, frankly, and closer to the Denver defense that we thought they could be. But you have to throw everything out. Because even when we look at Devontae Parker here, six catches, 61 yards, a touchdown, nine targets, you're like, oh, that's more of a Devontae Parker stat line, or that's more of the target share I would expect to have. A lot of that production... Minus the touchdown. He did have the touchdown with Tua. But a lot of that production, a lot of those targets came when Ryan Fitzpatrick took over. And suddenly, he was getting targeted more. Mike Isicki was getting targeted more. More throws were being down the field. This is my point. As long as Tua is a starting quarterback, I believe Devontae Parker is a touchdown or a bus player. Making him, in my book, a wide receiver three, even though the stat sheet at the end of the day will more times than not reflect him getting the most targets on this team as the wide receiver one. I believe he is a touchdown or a bust player with two attack of as a starting quarterback, which it will continue to be. So according to Brian Flores heading into next week, a lot of his targets came when Ryan Satcher came into the game. And that's, that's kind of the sad truth on the flip side. I was right about one thing in this game and that was Savan Ahmed. Not that he had a great game in this one, but Decent performance, 12 carries, 43 yards, 5 catches, 31 yards on 6 targets. The big thing was, I said that even with Matt Breida coming back, Ahmed was still going to be the lead back. He was still going to be the starter. And he was. Matt Breida only had 2 carries in this game. Oh, let me let me say it this way, actually. Matt Breida only had 2 touches in this game. He wasn't even involved in the passing game. He wasn't even the compliment that I thought he might be heading into this matchup. 
Savant Ahmed is the starting running back, and dominantly so, even with Matt Breida back there. Now, in a more pro game script for Miami Dolphins, can we expect to see Matt Breida maybe get, I don't know, eight carries, something along those lines? Yeah, I think we can expect to see that. But Ahmed is the starter. Matt Breida, no need to own him. Now we flip over to the Denver side of the ball. Where they finally got the running game going. Melvin Gordon, 15 carries, 84 yards, two touchdowns. Philip Lindsay, 16 carries, 82 yards in this game. I mean, talk about an even split. And Melvin Gordon, frankly, should have had a third touchdown. I would have put the game away, but he fumbled on the one-yard line. That was the whole reason why the Miami Dolphins even had a chance to come back in this game at all in the first place. Now, you figured they would probably lean on the running game a little bit more, or at least try to, knowing that, Drew Locke, as banged up as he was, as questionable as he was coming into this week, you weren't going to want to put him in harm's way too often. And I have to say, Drew Locke, all in all, played an okay game, 270 yards, did have an interception, didn't throw any touchdowns. But for a guy who had such banged up ribs against a Dolphins defense that has been red hot as of late, did a pretty good job getting the ball out to his playmakers. Tim Patrick, five catches, 119 yards, and eight targets. Jerry Judy, three catches, 37 yards on eight targets. You don't love that stat line, but you love the targets there. K.J. Hamler continues to be the third targeted receiver in this team. Four catches, 35 yards on six targets. And Noah Fant had an okay floor for you. Five targets, four catches, 55 yards. Another guy you weren't sure was even going to be able to play. Tim Patrick, somebody will re-enter my you know, top wide receiver four, low-end wide receiver three territory, a guy who continues to play in that quote and Sutton role who can be that big playmaker on the outside, who can be a red zone threat for Drew Locke. This is the first game in a while we've actually seen them be able to utilize the running game the way that they have. But here's what I will say. I don't value it any differently. The touches didn't break down any differently. I mean, neither running back was utilized in the past game at all. I mean, Melvin Gordon didn't even have a target. But as far as when they played, it hasn't really changed. They are pretty much 50-50 when it comes to the carries, when it comes to the running. And then Melvin Gordon dominates in the passing game. He didn't have the targets this game, but in the snap counts, when he's out there, he does. So Melvin Gore will continue to be a low-end RB2. Philip Lindsay will continue to be a flex play consideration. But that's it. It doesn't really change anything because they had a good game in this one against a tougher defense. They were just finally able to get things going. We haven't seen them get things going in a while. So I'm taking that performances with a grain of salt. I'm not suddenly going to say, oh, Melvin Gordon is a solid RB2 now. No. He's a low-end RB2 with a low floor. Especially if he doesn't score. So it doesn't change much for me here other than the Broncos played a much better game than I expected them to against what had been a pretty top defense heading into this matchup. Now this brings us to the New York Jets and the Los Angeles Chargers. The score was, is much closer than what the game actually was. It wound up being a final score of 34-28. to 28. You know, the Jets made a little bit of a comeback in the second half, but they were so far down that the Chargers pretty much was coasting in the second half to kind of wear out this clock. Justin Herbert, I mean, the guy is probably a top-five quarterback the rest of the way for fantasy football purposes. 366 yards, three touchdowns. I shouldn't even say probably. I should just lock that in at this point with the way he's been playing. Tacked on 11 yards rushing. Always getting the ball to Keenan Allen. 16 catches, 145 yards on 19 targets and a touchdown out of Keenan Allen. 19 targets. It's insane. It's insane. Against the Jets, a team that they pretty much dominate, like I said, outside of the Jets making a little bit of a comeback in the second half. But 
I talked about this going into the week why I was so big on Keenan Allen. Teams that have game plan for the Chargers thus far, what they've been doing is they've been trying to take away his number one target, which is Keenan Allen, and trying to take that number one read away from him. And that's why he had a kind of a struggle the past couple of weeks. But I was like, the Jets don't have that capability to do so. 19 targets. Absolutely incredible. Keenan Allen, just a nice wide receiver one. And then even Mike Williams winds up with a decent game in this one. Four catches, 72 yards, a touchdown on seven targets. And Hunter Henry finds the end zone last week, finds the end zone again this week. Four catches, 48 yards, a touchdown, seven targets, reestablishing himself as a low-end tight end one. They're looking for him pretty consistently in the red zone. That's the good news there. Things that you really want to see. And then Kalen Balage, while he didn't necessarily have the stat line that I expected him to have, 44 yards on the ground, 27 yards through the air, didn't score a touchdown in this game. He had the opportunities I expected him to have. 16 carries, 7 receptions on 9 targets. I think it's pretty clear that until Justin Jackson comes back or until Austin Eckler comes back, whenever that might be, that Kalen Balage is going to get treated as a featured back. And therefore, can't believe I'm saying this, has RB2 value at minimum moving forward until one of those guys comes back because he is a bell cow back right now, and I don't see that changing. They are relishing having Kalen Balazs as their featured back right now on top of it. So just something to kind of keep in mind moving forward. Kalen Balazs needs to be locked into your lineups until either Justin Jackson or Austin Eckler returns to the team. Now we go into our second game that went in overtime. So we had two games that went in overtime today. Green Bay Packers and Indianapolis Colts. The Colts coming back. I mean, the Packers looked like they were going to just dominate this game. It was 28-14. to The Colts had no momentum on their side. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers looked every bit in control. And then the Colts just chipped away. Got the game to overtime and won it. Won it. After a horrendous Marquez Valdez-Scantling fumble in overtime that pretty much gave the Colts field goal position to be able to win this game. From a fantasy perspective, Aaron Rodgers, I told you guys, play him as a QB1. Don't hesitate. Don't think about it. I know it was the Colts defense. Didn't care. With the way he's been playing, he's been too good. And he was again in this game for your fantasy football purposes. 311 yards, three touchdowns, tacked on 13 yards on the ground. Aaron Rodgers is matchup proof. It's that simple. The other guy who's matchup proof is Devontae Adams. Seven catches, 106 yards, a touchdown, eight targets. He is last year's Michael Thomas when he's on the field. Aaron Rodgers only has eyes for him. Alizar did make his return to the field. Now, he was on limited touches. We knew he was going to be a fantasy impact player. He had four four targets, two catches, 18 yards. The important thing was getting to see him be back on the field. He is somebody who I will look at as a possible wide receiver for as we move forward, as he gets healthier, as he gets back into game shape because he's been out for a little while now, so it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get up to snuff. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, we talked about him. He's not fantasy relevant He's not somebody I want to depend on for that big play. He doesn't have a floor. Uh, he shouldn't belong anywhere in your fantasy line, especially when you're talking about 10 and 12 team leagues. Robert Tanyan, this is a trap here. I don't want. I want to warn you guys about five catches, 44 yards, a touchdown, five targets. You're thinking to yourself, "Oh, well, maybe he's back in the tight end streaming territory." No, 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 no. I, I, I know he had a decent performance here in this one. I know anybody who even shows they can have decent performances, enters the streamability at the tight end position. I understand all that. Robert Tonyan has been a next-to-nothing player 
since Devontae Adams has been back for the most part. I believe this is only his second game where he's been even relevant in any capacity since Devontae Adams has been on the field. I, Robert Tanyan is a trap player. I'm not going to be streaming him at tight end anytime soon. So just kind of give you guys a warning there. Aaron Jones, 10 carries, 41 yards, a touchdown, four catches, 30 yards, four targets. Yes, not the stat line you want. Yes, it was a tough matchup. He still gets you a touchdown. He still gets a decent performance overall. Uh, you're not going to be worried about Aaron Jones moving forward. I will note, though, Jamal Williams continues to be involved. He had a t- receiving touchdown in this game. Five carries, Aaron Jones is 10. Only two targets in this game. He's a little bit more involved in the passing game lately as of that. But still, more of a high-end handcuff in my mind. Maybe in full-point PPR leagues in a game in which you expect there to be a lot of scoring with the Packers and whoever it is that they're playing, he can be in the full-point PPR flex conversation for you. But at the end of the day, he's one of the higher-end handcuffs that you can have your hands on. If you're an Aaron Jones owner, you must have Jamal Williams before you enter your playoff races. So if that means having to trade for him, I would consider doing so depending upon what it would cost you. Phillip Rivers on the other side actually probably had one of his best games of the year, 288 yards, three touchdowns. Again, he's still not going to be fantasy relevant. He's still not going to be a streaming option for us. But Michael Pittman, although his target share was not what it was the past couple of weeks. Three catches, 66 yards, a touchdown on a 45-yarder. He looked very good again this game. He's somebody who's establishing himself now over the past three weeks of being the best Colts wide receiver. I think he does enter that high-end wide receiver four, low-end wide receiver three conversation where you're looking at possibly putting at somebody in the flex for the Colts. They have another good matchup next week against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, some, finally, a receiver, a pass catcher emerging from the Colts that I will start to consider for fantasy lineups, especially when we start to do rankings, and we'll break that all down for you. But somebody to keep in mind if he's available, definitely worth a pickup, definitely worth a stash with the way he's been coming along in the second half of the season. And the big storyline of the day for the Indianapolis Colts, of course, Jonathan Taylor. Twenty, Look out, he had 22 carries. I know. Finally, he had over 20 carries. I didn't think this day would ever come again. 90 yards. Good matchup here against the Green Bay Packers. They did take advantage of it to at least some degree. But it wasn't just the fact that he was getting 22 carries or that he was the clear lead guy as far as the being the running back goes. It was also the fact that he had four catches for 24 yards on four targets. He was just as involved in the passing game as Naeem Hines. And so much for that report leading into Sunday's game about, oh, maybe Naeem Hines could wind up being the uh, main ball carrier in this game. Yeah, it wasn't even close. He had six. Wilkins had four. This was all 100% Jonathan Taylor the entire way. I mean, absolutely crushing. Will this continue? This is kind of like the J.K. Dobbins situation where this is not enough for me to feel confident about replugging Jonathan Taylor into my RB2 status because I expect him to get all of this volume. We've seen this song and dance before. Can Taylor be considered in your flex depending upon the matchup? Yes. I am not going to leave this game saying this was finally the game that Taylor takes over the backfield. Absolutely not. I know he had 26 touches. I know he got over 100 yards from scrimmage. It still wasn't an overly dominant performance against a poor Packers defense, though, for me to feel like he's established himself as the guy and will be the guy the rest of the way. No, I don't have that confidence. It was nice to see 
especially considering I wasn't sure if we would even see this type of game out of John Taylor again for the rest of the year with the way they've been playing the running backs. It leaves the door open that maybe they'll decide to stick with him as the featured guy moving forward, but it only opens the door. It doesn't give you the confidence to do so. Therefore, you should only be playing him as a flex still moving forward. Let's get into our last game for today's show. The Dallas Cowboys, the Minnesota Vikings. This game was actually more entertaining than I thought it would be. The Cowboys finding a way to get their third win of the season. Their defense looked a little bit more competent in this game than they had in weeks past. Andy Dalton, much better in this game. 22 of 32, three touchdown passes, did have the pick, 203 yards. But the Dallas Cowboys as a team actually looked competent after, frankly, looking competent against the Steelers the week before. But now two games in a row they look competent. This one they actually get the win in. And if you have pieces to this Dallas offense, it should leave you with a decent feeling moving forward because now all of a sudden you find yourself in a position where, hey, you know what? Can you trust Ezekiel Elliott? He went over 100 yards for the first time this year, and I talked about Ezekiel Elliott getting back into being an RB1 this week because, one, it was a Minnesota matchup, and I wasn't buying in that their defense suddenly turned this corner where they're now a top-10 defense after the way they had played earlier on in the season, even though they've been playing better over the past couple of weeks. But, two, Zach Martin was back in the lineup. And even though they plugged him at right tackle, which I thought was kind of weird, but the fact that Zach Martin was back there gave them some clarification, some solidification at the offensive line position. And Ezekiel Elliott, therefore, was able to get running lanes, They were able to control this game. This game never got out of hand at any point for Dallas. That was also the big part there. That's why I got 21 carries, over 100 yards, also tacked on two catches for 11 yards, and that receiving touchdown that gives him the RB1 performance. This is what I talked about with Ezekiel Elliott. I was like, don't fret. They have a decent schedule the rest of the way. Their offensive line is going to get healthier, and at least with Andy Dalton, you know who's going to get the football. Now, Elliott wasn't overly targeted in this game, but like I said, to get the receiving touchdown, and the big thing was he actually had an offensive line in front of him to give him some running room. The other part of that is that you know where the ball is going to go. Amari Cooper, seven targets, six catches, 81 yards. You continue to play Amari Cooper with a very high floor. Does he have those high ceiling games that he used to have? No, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case so much, but he is a guy who's playing really well every single week, playing consistently every single week, especially when he has a competent quarterback who you know is going to target him first. CeeDee Lamb was able to find the end zone in this one, four catches, 34 yards on six targets. Definitely a step in the right direction. Again, it kind of goes in hand in hand with the guys that you've been leaning on for a fantasy football purpose, this is something you wanted to see. Can you at least get back to being competent so you can at least have some sort of floor and have some sort of idea of what these guys' value truly are? But he's still going to be very hit or miss in my book. And if he doesn't score a touchdown here, you're very disappointed with C.D. Lamb's performance. So he's still going to be hit or miss. He's still going to be more of a wide receiver forward to me. I'm not even considering Michael Gallup, who again was two catches, 29 yards, the odd man out. But Amari Cooper is going to be a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three with a consistent floor every single week with Andy Dalton and his offensive line getting healthier moving forward, getting Ezekiel Elliott going again as well. On the Minnesota side of the ball, Dalvin Cook was great. 27 carries, 115 yards, a touchdown, five catches, 45 yards. Dalvin Cook was Dalvin Cook. He was every bit of what you wanted him to be and will continue to be all season long because he's just on fire right now and unstoppable. 
There was a little bit of a scary moment. He took a big hit, got knocked out of the game for like a nanosecond. I think he just got the wind knocked out of him and was right back in it. So Dalvin Cook's not the storyline here. The storyline is that the passing game got going against the Dallas Cowboys. They knew this was a matchup where it could, but it was always a question of if Dalvin Cook completely dominates this game, you know, how much passing attacks would there really be? The big thing was that because Dallas was able to keep this a competitive game and really lead most of this game as well, they kept the Vikings having to be a little bit more aggressive than they had been in previous weeks. As a result of that, Kirk Cousins goes over 300 yards and has three touchdowns, and it benefits the wide receivers greatly. Adam Thielen, 11 targets, eight catches, 123 yards, and two touchdowns in this game. And even Justin Jefferson, who didn't have the volume that you were necessarily hoping for, only five targets, still walked away with three catches for 86 yards and a touchdown on a 39-yard pass. That was the big key. Both of these guys were able to eat. You were going to play both of them against Dallas come hell or high water. Alan Thielen having a big performance for you in this one. Again, with the wide receivers, with Kirk Cousins, with the passing attack in general, it's just a little bit hit or miss. It depends on how dominant Dalvin Cook is. And it also depends on, is the opponent on the other side going to keep the scoring close enough where they have to stay aggressive and target these guys in certain situations? Jefferson being a big play guy, Adam Thielen being a red zone safety blanket go-to guy. And that's kind of what's going to, it's going to be, unfortunately, for Adam Thielen, for Justin Jefferson, as great as they have been throughout the season, it's still hit or miss to some degree because it's still game script dependent when it comes to this passing attack. The only thing that is constant is going to be Dalvin Cook. But you're still going to be firing these guys up. Adam Thielen's a wide receiver, a low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two. Justin Jefferson, I believe at this point, you can kind of play him as a solidified wide receiver two with the big plays that he's been able to make over the past few weeks and how he's been developing. And also, we take into consideration coming out of this week, some of the injuries or some of the circumstances that are making other guys like a T. Higgins that comes to mind or other wide receivers like that go from being wide receiver twos to maybe wide receiver threes or even less with their now new situations moving forward after this week as well. So you can still fire these guys up with confidence, but it is going to be a little bit game script dependent, especially when you're considering a guy like Jefferson, who is kind of more boom or bust. It will depend upon what you think that game is going to be like if you're coming down to him or a choice between him and another player that maybe has a higher, more steady floor, depending on what you need in that matchup. That wraps up the show. Like I said, we had a lot to get to. It was a lot of content. A lot of things happened today. But we will be back on Tuesday morning, recording it Monday night, and we'll have the Sunday night recap for you guys. We'll have the Monday night recap for you guys, the waiver wire report. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at BellyUpMDFFShow. Of course, same thing goes for Facebook as well. Those player news notifications will be coming out fast and furious for this entire week. Make sure you check these out on your favorite streaming app. You can always subscribe to us wherever you want to. The MD's Fantasy Football Show, widely available to you. And make sure you're checking us out on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We will be on Thanksgiving morning from 8 to 9 a.m. to preview the early window of Week 12 games and, of course, the Thanksgiving games themselves. Everybody, take care, stay happy, and we'll see you guys again tomorrow. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 